Welcome to this episode of our Life Group Study of Romans. Uh, we're currently in chapter 12. We've covered the first eight verses already. And so in this episode, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at verse 9. We're going to focus this entire episode just on this one verse, verse 9. So let's get started by reading this verse. And then we'll spend the rest of this episode and this study just looking at this verse and really driving home the truths that we need to take out of it. So Romans chapter 12 verse 9 is written by obviously the Apostle Paul as we know. And this is what he says. Love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So we're going to look first of all at the first part of this verse, which says that love must be without hypocrisy. And we ask to get the study started. What does Paul mean by this statement? Love must be without hypocrisy. It's a very similar exhortation to one that is given by the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, John uses slightly different words from the Apostle Paul, but in essence is saying exactly the same thing. And so if we can just read that as well, I think it will help us to just get a little bit better handle and understanding on what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says, let love be without hypocrisy. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, this is what we read. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. You see, hypocritical love is love that doesn't go beyond words. In other words, it's people saying the right things without doing the right things. That is love that is hypocritical. And so when Paul talks about let love be without hypocrisy, what he's saying is let love be without anything that is pretended, anything that is feigned, any shamming, or just merely trying to appear as if we love somebody when we actually don't. Remember that the word hypocrisy itself comes from an ancient English word that was actually used of acting. And so when we talk about hypocrisy, it's really putting on an act. It's, it's wearing a facade. It's pretending to be something, to try and appear to be something that we're actually not. And so when we say that we love and care for someone, when we're not willing to do anything to help them in their need, is in itself hypocrisy. And it's a deception. When, if we think that we love somebody just because we say we love them, yet we're not willing to do something to help them, we are actually being hypocrites. Our confession of love for them is hypocritical. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, uh, the Apostle John writes these words. Let me just read them to you as well. He says, whoever has the world's possessions, in other words, has material means, and sees his fellow Christian in need, and shuts off his compassion against him. In other words, decides not to do anything to help him. How can the love of God reside in such a person? You see, that kind of love, and I put that in inverted commas, is actually hypocritical love. It's not sincere. It's not genuine love. It is a love that is just pretended. It's really a deception. It's not real. Because real love will do something to help alleviate the need of someone that we love. You see, true love is more than just words. True love is compassion in action. Let me say that again. True love is more than just words. True love is compassion in action. 
It is showing mercy. It's not just feeling sympathy. Feeling sympathy is not what God defines as love. Showing mercy is what is needed. Love shows mercy. Love doesn't just feel sympathy. It may feel sympathy, but it goes beyond mere sympathy. It doesn't just feel sorry for someone. Love does all that it can to alleviate the suffering that that person is going through. And the greatest example of love that we can find is in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle John says this, We have come to know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Thus, we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. We can see in the love of Jesus what genuine love is. It is love that is without hypocrisy. It's not pretended. It's not feigned. This kind of love that the Bible calls love involves action. And we can see what love is by what Jesus did for us. He didn't just tell us that he loved us. He went to the cross. He took our sins upon himself and he died in our place. He suffered for us. He laid down his life for us. And the Apostle John says that's the kind of love that we should have for one another. And that is what Paul is talking about when he says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that our love must be without hypocrisy. In other words, what he's saying is that it must not just be in word only. It mustn't just be something that we talk about or that we say we have. It should be something that people can see being worked out in our everyday life, in the way that we treat people, in the way that we respond to the needs that people may have around us. That is what true and genuine love is. It is seen in action. Love without action is not true love at all, just as faith without action is not true faith at all. But more than that, we also see not only is genuine love, love that is, uh, involves action, we also see from Scripture that genuine love produces certain characteristics in those that have it and eliminates other characteristics from their lives as well. And these characteristics are described by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. And I just want to read this passage to you as well. It, Paul says there, love is patient. And we all know this passage. It's a very familiar passage, often read at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice or unrighteousness or sin, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what we see here in this passage, we can see four characteristics, positive characteristics, that love, genuine love, produces in a person that has it. What are these four positive characteristics that Paul brings up here? Well, let's just quickly mention them. Patience. When we love somebody, we will be patient with them. It's uh, kindness. That's the second one. What is kindness? It's the readiness to do what is good. In other words, to act benevolently. If we love someone, we will be kind towards them. There will be a desire to do good for them. 
Thirdly, the third positive characteristic that this kind of love, genuine love, the love of God produces in a person is delight in the truth. Paul says here, it rejoices in the truth. What is the truth? Well, the Lord Jesus himself told us in John chapter 17 and verse 17, it's recorded that the Lord said, God's word is truth. And so when Paul says here that it rejoices in the truth, love rejoices in God's word. The fourth and final characteristic is found in uh, the last verse, verse 7, where Paul says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now that might sound a little bit um, complicated to, to be able to wrap our heads around, but the uh, New International Commentary on the New Testament uh, sort of sums up and explains what I believe Paul is talking about here in this verse, this fourth characteristic that love produces in those that have it, um, is really defined this way. I think this is a very good definition or a very good interpretation of what Paul is saying here. Let me just read it to you. It's what the New International Commentary in the New Testament says about what Paul is saying in this verse. And this is what it says. Love has a tenacity in the present buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables one to live in every circumstance and continually to pour out in behalf of others. So let me just read that again because I think that this is, this is a really powerful statement. Love has a tenacity in the present, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables one to live in every circumstance and continually to pour out in behalf of others. We see this kind of love exemplified in Paul's own ministry. I mean, I just think of Paul languishing in prison um, and having languished in prison for many years, writing to the church in Philippi and encouraging them to rejoice in all circumstances and to rejoice in the Lord and to have faith in, the, in God and not to lose their confidence in Him. And... Uh, you know, here's a man who's suffering himself, and yet he was still able to pour out and have such love and compassion and concern for the people that he loved, the church. Now, let's go on and look at the negative characteristics that love eliminates. We've seen the four characteristics, the positive characteristics that love produces. Now, let's look at the negative characteristics, and there's eight of them listed in this passage that we just read. Uh, that these are the negative characteristics that true love, the love of God, eliminates in somebody's life. The first one is envy. How can we feel ill or be, uh, be um, upset about something good that happens to someone that we love? If we truly love someone, we will rejoice with them when good things happen to them. And so envy is excluded from love. Envy does not have any place in love. You can't mix the two. So where there is love, there will not be envy. They will not be bragging and boasting. They will not be pride and arrogance. And they will not be rudeness. And we also see here that Paul says that love is not easily angered. In other words, love is not quick-tempered. It's not hot-tempered. Love eliminates that kind of negative characteristic. Uh, love is not selfish. It says here it's not self-serving. Love is not resentful. In other words, love does not harbor grudges. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love is always willing to forgive. It's always willing to be reconciled. Love takes no joy in um, 
something being between a person that they love and themselves. Someone who loves will, will forgive and release and will not want to keep a record of wrongs or harbor grudges. So love eliminates that kind of attitude. But it also eliminates something else. Paul says here, it is not glad about injustice or that word injustice could be translated unrighteousness or it speaks there about wrongdoing and sin. It speaks about everything that would offend a holy God. It speaks about every transgression of God's law. So Paul is saying here that love, true love, the love of God will never be happy or rejoice or find um, some form of entertainment or joy in anything that is unrighteous in the eyes of God. That, that just doesn't go together with love. So we see these eight things that true love eliminates in a person that has that kind of love. And we see in this passage really a picture that Paul has painted of what genuine love looks like. And I'm just going to quickly um, just uh, sort of um, uh, highlight it or summarize it for you. What does true genuine love look like? What does love that does not have a, a, any hypocrisy, love without hypocrisy, as Paul puts it in chapter 12, verse 9 of Romans, what does it look like? It looks like this, consistent, steadfast patience, kindness, humility, selflessness, and joy in the well-being of others, delight in the Word of God, in other words, a love for God's Word, and a hatred of sin. That's what love looks like. That's what genuine love, according to Scripture, looks like. I wonder if this is how you have understood and defined love, because the world certainly doesn't define love this way. Society doesn't define love this way. And what I'd like you to do with all that in mind is just to stop, pause the video right now, and just ask yourselves, discuss as a group the following question. What part of this definition of love, this picture of love that we've been painting and, and, and through the scriptures, uh, what part of it is excluded in the world's definition of love? So if you just pause now and just discuss that question, which will be up on your screen. And then after you've done that, just come back and we will continue the study and finish it. Welcome back. I wonder if you saw the main difference between God's definition of love as it's been described to us in Scripture by the Apostle Paul and by the Apostle John and the world's definition of love. I think you will have seen that there are two things, at least two things, that the world excludes from its definition of love that God includes in His definition of love. And it's these two things, the love for God's Word and the hatred of sin. The world does not include that, those two characteristics in their definition of love. They might say love is patient, they might say love is kind, and all those things. But you will not find the world talking about the love for God's word and the hatred of sin being a part of their definition of what love is. The world excludes them. And not only does the world exclude those two things, but the world actually says that anyone who possesses those two things does not have love. The world says that anyone who loves God's word and hates sin is actually a hater, a bigot, judgmental or unloving. That's the sort of words that will be used by the word world 
to define people who have those two characteristics, which God says are integral parts of what he defines as love. And this brings us back to the second part of this verse, verse 9 in Romans chapter 12, which we're looking at today. Because Paul says, let let love be without hypocrisy. And then he makes this other statement immediately afterwards. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Notice that Paul, when he gives the command for us to have love that is unhypocritical, immediately says, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And he mentions this, this abhorrence of evil and this love for what is good before he mentions any of the other activities of genuine love that he goes on in verses 10 and and onwards. Why did he do so? I believe he did this because Paul wanted to be absolutely clear on this matter, that true unhypocritical love abhors what is evil and clings to what is good. Love as God defines it is not a love that um, loves evil and has no real affinity towards what is good. And one of its primary traits is to hate evil and love what is good. So let's just look at these four words that we find in this second statement in verse 9. The words abhor, cling, evil, and good. Those four words. Let's look at abhor. What does this word mean? Well, I'm sure we all know what it means. It's the strongest word that Paul could use. And so it speaks of intense hatred. It's more than just desisting from evil. If you abhor evil, you are not just desisting evil. You are actually... Uh, running from it. You will not come near it. You hate it. If you abhor something, you will not touch it. It's not tempting to you. And this is what Paul is saying when he says we are to abhor evil. Secondly, he says we are to cling to what is good. The picture in my mind when when we look at this word cling is that of a young child in his mother's arms when a stranger is trying to take him from her and he doesn't want to go. And I'm sure we've all seen this uh, little child clinging desperately to his mother, refusing to let go because he does not want to, to leave his mother and go into the arms of a stranger. That's what Paul had in mind when he said we are to cling to what is good. And why did he say this? Why did he use this word cling with reference to our attitude towards what is good? I believe it's this. We live in a world that is constantly trying to pull us away from what is good. And so we have to cling to what is good because if we don't, we will be separated from it because all the forces of the world and the flesh are pulling us away from good towards that which is evil. That's the tide of the world in which we live. That's the pull of the flesh. It's everything around us and even that which was that is within us, the sinful nature within us is actually pulling us away from good towards that which is evil. And so we have to cling to what is good. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves just drifting with the current of the world. You see, to escape evil, there must be a double action. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. There has to be a double action. We must hate evil and we must cling to good. It's not just enough to hate evil. We must also cling to what is good. And it's not It's not enough just to cling to what is good. We must hate evil. Lastly, let's just quickly consider the words evil and good. We need to understand that it is God who defines what is evil and what is good, not society and not people. We live in a world 
that has turned everything upside down. The world calls evil good and it calls good evil. It, it twists it. This is what society does. We need to remember that it's God who is good and people that are evil. That's what scripture declares to us. The Lord Jesus said to the rich young ruler, when the rich young ruler came to him, and we see this in Mark chapter 10 and verse 18, he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know, that's the truth. No one is good except God alone. And he also said to his disciples, and we read this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, if you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, he, he speaks to his disciples and he says to them, you are evil. And we need to understand that. According to scripture, God is good and people are evil. That means that we must go to God and not to people, not to society, if we want to find out what is good and what is evil. And that means that we must go to God's word. It is God's word that defines what is evil and what is good. It is what God says in scripture is evil that we're to abhor. And it's what he says in scripture is good that we are to cling to. And unless we do this, our love, according to scripture, will not be true love. It will not be genuine and it will, it will not be without hypocrisy. As we come to the end of our study of this verse, it would be amiss if we didn't just spend some time reflecting on this. I believe that this is very important for us to really deeply consider. And we sh we, we've got to be careful that we are not people who hear God's word and yet never do what it says. The Bible says that if we do that, we're deceiving ourselves. What Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter 12, although it is practical, needs to be implemented in our lives just as much as anything else he has said in this letter. We hold to the doctrines of the Christian faith, which he taught from chapter 1 to chapter 11, and we must do the practical things that he tells us to do in this chapter and in the subsequent chapters because this is God's will for our lives. This is not just Paul speaking. This is God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul to us. And so this is God's word to us. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Paul told the Corinthians to pursue love. He, we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. The very thing that he'd been describing in chapter 13, he goes on a few verses later in chapter 14 and he says, pursue it, pursue it. Those characteristics that we looked at, that definition of what love is, that picture that he painted of what true love is, he said, pursue it. We need to do this as well. We need to pursue love. We need to pursue being the kind of people described in those verses. It should be our goal. It should be our desire. It should be our pursuit in life to be that way. So let's not just walk away from the study of God's word without searching our hearts and asking these questions. And they're going to come up on your screen. Are we loving each other in deed and truth or is our love mainly talk? Secondly, to what extent are the characteristics described by Paul and John seen in our lives? Do we abhor evil? Are we clinging to what is good like that little child clinging to his mother? What standard are we using to define what is good and what is evil? 
Now, I'm sure as we search our hearts and we ask ourselves these questions, we're going to find that we are falling short. And so then what do we need to do? We need to spend some time in prayer, put these things before the Lord, ask forgiveness for where we have fallen short, and ask for God's grace to help us to become more and more like what we have been told. That's God's will. God is with us to help us to become that. He wouldn't tell us to do it without also being uh, working in us to produce it and to give us the ability to do what he said. So God bless you. I pray that this lesson, this teaching has helped to just highlight the most important truths in these verses. God bless until we meet each other again.